Well, good morning. My family and I have been in Washington, D.C. all week, which means I'm three hours ahead of all of you, so you better keep up. That's not really what that means. <laughs> so my family and I were walking around D.C., and I was struck by how diverse of a place it was. Descending upon this 68-square-mile plot of land were people from many states and many um, languages and ethnicities and values and ideas. And I found myself wondering often, what is it we have in common? Who are these people? Why are we connected? Why are we all in the same place? What significance have we put in this particular area? And I walked into the National Archives with my family, and I saw the original Declaration of Independence and the original Constitution and the original Bill of Rights And I realized that we, all these people I was bumping into on the metro and bumping into on the sidewalk and rolling over their feet with Senate stroller, we were connected because of the words on those pages. The we, the people, the all men are created equal. Those things connected us, whether we knew it or not. That's why we were there. That's why we were connected. That's what we had in common. That's what made us normal together. As a church, as a local church, we have even greater words on a page than those words in that National Archive. Much better words. Better, we have a better shared identity than just American. We have an, a shared identity of in Christ. And this morning, um, as Scott said, we're kicking off this series. This first piece is connection. And we're going to look at what does it mean to be a normal Christian? What is this? What, what do we do? How, how do we connect? Um, the way we describe that as we engage those disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. That's the way we describe our mission here. That's um, part of what connects us um, as a church. And um, that's what I want us to understand together. So we're going to look at connect. I want you to turn to Ephesians 2. And what we're going to do, I want to touch first on the delight part. The del- we do the connection. We do the serve. We do the engage because we delight in God. So we're going to be in Ephesians 2. And I love Ephesians. This book is fantastic. If you need something to read or something to walk through slowly, Ephesians is an awesome book. It is something I'd recommend you could just read a chapter at a time or a paragraph at a time for the next three months. And when you get to the end, just start over. Dig into this book. It is so good. But in in Ephesians, Paul uses this grand narrative, this epic story of what God is doing through the entirety of the cosmos, um, through the entirety of time, through Christ Jesus. And he tells us that because God is so gracious and so good, he includes us in that story, which, which is amazing. Let's, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness 
toward us who us in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing, amazing progression. Paul addresses the church in Ephesus. He addresses the church in West Lynn. Through these words, he starts with the starkest description of decrepitude and explanation of the severity of our state, all the maladies of our path put together in a string of statements. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. Things were not going well. You and I were dead. Not in need of a little bit of improvement, not in a little tweak of our mojo. Dead. In the sins in which we once walked, we were the walking dead. Following the course of the world, whatever this world was saying, whichever lie, whichever error, whichever thing you grabbed onto that wasn't true, we followed that course in that direction. And the world followed the prince of the power of the air. This is the deceiver. This is the serpent. This is Satan. That same spirit that continues to work in those that are labeled as the sons of disobedience. That's a, that's a terrible thing to be labeled. This is not a good place to be. Our plight is dire. And our plight is shared by the rest of mankind who, like us, lived in the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body. And many of you, when we say those phrases, we think of something. When I say that, the desires of our body, the, desire, the passions of our flesh. We all have a passion or desire. We all have a pull in the brokenness of our bodies and souls that pulls us down a certain course. The whole world is breaking and those desires that pull us to walk like sons of disobedience are evidence that we too are part of this broken world. Tainted by the curse of sin. All of us, deep in our bones, like Paul says, are children of wrath. This is not good. But brothers and sisters, please be reminded that God is in the business of doing the unexpected. I love this. It says, but God, rich in mercy, because God loves you, truly, truly loves you, not the cleaned up you, not the fake you, not the get my act together you, dead in your trespasses, that you, while you were sitting there dead, he made us alive together with Christ. When you were dead, God made you alive, and not, not just alive, not just breathing again, alive together with Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the lead that makes the headline of all the papers of all of history put together. This is the good news. That Christ died for your trespasses and sins, laid deceased in a tomb for three days, and on a glorious Sunday morning, by the power of God over sin and death, rose again to victorious life. And this verse is telling us that God links us up with the same life that he gave Jesus. We are made alive together with Christ. In the original language, in the Greek, that phrase is a single word, made us alive together with. Paul is thinking about the gospel. He's, he said, I don't even know how to explain this. We don't have a word that works for this. And he made a word and smashed it all together and said, made us alive together with Christ. That's what, that's what God did for us. By grace you have been saved. God is gracious and we don't just stop with life. God raised us up with him and we sit in the heavenly places in Christ. This is unbelievable stuff. Those who are made alive together are seated in Christ. If Christ is on a throne, we are on a throne. 
We are in Christ and the things he is a part of, we are a part of. The things he does, we get to do. The work he does, we get to do. Because we are in Christ. This is a spiritual reality in the heavenly places right now that is far greater than what you thought when you walked in these doors this morning. This is true. If you are in Christ, you used to be dead and now you are alive together with Christ. And we are all in this together. Made us alive together with Christ. Every person in this room who who says, I love Jesus, we are alive together. Every person in Christ around the globe and all of history, we are all part of this spiritual community that is connected in life. That's delightful. That's good news. That's gospel. That is why this church is called New Life. We're not talking about old life anymore. Something new, something better, something in Christ. It's good news. It's gospel. And when you hear it and understand it, you are in Christ and it's awesome. That's why we delight. If you've never heard that before or understood that before, you may have walked in here dead. And I want you to know that Christ died a death for your garbage, for your path towards destruction. And hearing and believing this right now, you are made alive together with Christ. That's why we show up every Sunday morning. That's why we open this book every Sunday morning because the headline news, the good news, the best news is in this book. That's why we delight. That's why we delight. So what happens now? We have a new life, but what do we do? What does normal new life look like? Can I give you a little hint? Um, In these letters to churches, almost invariably, it starts with um, Paul or someone else describing the spiritual reality of new life, the gospel, And then the second half talks about the practical reality of what that new life looks like. So we're going to we're going to flip over to chapter four, verse 11, and we're going to see what this looks like practically. Paul says in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul describes the good news um, in chapter 2, the big headlines of what Jesus accomplished And then he describes what is happening with that news now. What's happening on the ground? Jesus ascended into heaven, but he did not leave us in the lurch. He gave us help. His plan from the beginning has been to work in and through the church. And he does that through specific ways and people at the local level, sitting right here. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers We know this, these five types of people. He gave these five types of people to work within the church in a specific way. I don't want to spend too much time here, 
But I want you to know that these type of people are in the church. Serving the church, loving the church, helping the church. This word shepherd is where we get our word pastor. And, and for whatever reason, the contemporary American church took that term pastor, made it an office, and put all of the responsibility into that one thing. So maybe like you, you or like me, have thought once in your life, um, these five types of people, the pastor, they're here to do the work, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to be served by them. It's going to be great. Um, but if you keep reading, if we look and see what is really the plan for the operation of the church, Paul continues. He says we have these five types of people to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Every one of these people are in the church so that they equip the saints. That's you guys. They equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're all in this together. If you are in Christ, you are part of what is going on with the church, just like everybody else. I'll leave talk about service for Tim for next week, but I want to remind us that we're in this together. We're not individuals here. There's not a couple elite type of Christians that do ministry and everybody else watches. That's not how this works. There is a normal Christian and they are involved with connecting and serving and engaging and they are equipped by these five types of people. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And what is the goal of this equipping and this work of ministry? Verse 13, Paul says, we're going to be doing this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The end of the work, the finish line, The purpose of the equipping and the work of the saints is the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. We understand the idea of unity. Um, It's a togetherness. It's a commonality in person. It's, It's a shared faith. And this idea of the knowledge of the Son of God is a personal understanding, a personal recognition. There's something intimate there. And Paul wants us to grow into our understanding of Jesus into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We can almost see a filling up of our maturity and we are equipped as we serve. Filling up into the measure. You almost see someone standing up more straight so they look like Jesus. And if we recall what happened in chapter 2, we are made alive together with Christ. We are in Christ. So because of that, this maturing is us growing into that reality. We are in Christ, and as we mature and grow, we grow into the reality of Christ. This is like seeing a young man or a young woman, um, seeing them, oh, you're you're a young man. And we're going to see them grow into their full stature, grow into their full height, grow into their full maturity. That's what Paul is explaining will happen for us as a body. We, We are in Christ. That doesn't change, just like that young man or young woman. They are a man or a woman. But we are going to grow into maturity, grow into the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says we are in Christ from the beginning, but the goal is for us to grow into full stature. Our English Bibles say mature manhood right there. But it's more like perfect man or mature man. Paul wants us to look like that perfect man, like Jesus. That's the goal. Now, I'm one of those five types of people listed in verse 11. Um, Sometimes as a teacher, uh, sometimes as a shepherd. And my main role here is to equip and encourage life group leaders. I'm the life group pastor. 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith. But can I, can I let you in on a secret? This is an aim for a practical reality that is already a spiritual reality. Chapter 2 says we're made alive together with Christ. We're, we're in this together. I'm in Christ. You are in Christ. There's a spiritual reality of unity and togetherness and community that exists that I can't create. Me being life group pastor doesn't mean, all right, there's going to be a community right here. I just willed it to be so. I can't do that. All I can do is work along with what God is already doing. And as we fill in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we are making practical what is already a reality spiritually and positionally. These little pockets of community, when they grow and mature and become closer and more vulnerable together, more intimate, they are just showing what is already true for those who are in Christ. They're making practical, they're making local, they're making visible what is already true. And the second thing, I, a pastor, can't make any of this happen on my own. What we do here at New Life Church is we put together life groups as a means to cultivate community in a particular location, giving people a place to work out, building up the body of Christ and attaining unity together. I can't can't make that happen. I can't um, say be unified and you guys be unified. I can equip people. That's my goal. That's what I'm trying to do is equip people and encourage people. But together we do this. Together we build up the body. We do this together. It's not me doing something or having the right words or having the right ideas. We do this together as the body. Life groups are the place where we connect. Life groups are the place we mature toward the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Life groups are where we slowly begin to align our practical reality with our spiritual reality, where our community begins to look more and more like who we are together in Christ. And why do we do this? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is a system of equipping and connection and unity um, It's a system that's part of God's plan because there's a bunch of junk out there. There's a bunch of junk out there that is not the truth. There's a bunch of stuff out there that is not explaining the full reality of what we have in Christ. Even the stuff that will say, oh, Christian ideas, Christian theology. There's a bunch of junk out there. There's a bunch of stuff out there that sounds good and sounds right And if you were alone and not with other Christians, working toward unity and full maturity, it seems like something worth latching on to. And it's too easy to be tossed about. Paul says, I don't want us to be children. It's easy for a child to be tossed about. We're we're talking about mature manhood, mature womanhood. We're talking about adulthood. And he says, it's easy for a child to be tossed about. I was walking around D.C. all week with a seven-month-old. And he can be tossed to and fro. It's not difficult. You put, or another example, you put something in front of him, he's going to grab that thing and he's going to put it in his mouth. It doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's bad. It doesn't matter if it's dirty. It doesn't matter if it's poison. He'll put it in his mouth. He has not differentiated between the good and the bad. He doesn't know. 
He's easily tossed to and fro. He doesn't know what's helpful for him. He doesn't know what's healthy for him. And thank God he's growing up in a little community that will help him. Help him understand how to differentiate those things. Help him to understand how to learn those things. Help him when it's, there's a bunch of waves to show him how to go, show him how to swim, show him how to stay straight through the waves. Paul says, I don't want us to be children. Not only is there bad stuff out there that we need to learn to differentiate from the good, there are bad people out there with cunning and tricks and schemes and craftiness. And their goal is to toss you about. New Life Church, I don't want us to be children. And we need to connect into each other for the building up of the body until we attain the unity of the faith. Because the poor doctrine, the lies, the slight mistruths, those come at the worst possible moments. Those things come and look attractive when life is hard and difficult, when something surprising happens that you weren't planning for, when death of a family member or friend stares you in the face, when you lose your job or your medical bills just keep coming. You need someone to sit with you and help you swim true because the waves are big. And when those things are happening, something that's not quite true looks a lot more attractive. I don't want us to be children. Paul continues in verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Rather than the schemes and the tricks, the church of Christ does something different. When it comes together, it speaks the truth in love. There's so much community implicitly sitting right here. I could spout off truth all day, right? I could spout off truth all day long and be a jerk, right? Fact, 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 fact. Many of you have probably experienced this. Hopefully not from me, but someone else that does that. I don't know. Um, But for me to speak the truth in love, I need to have relationship. I need to care about you. I need to learn how to speak with compassion and patience and humility. And as I speak truth to you, you are maturing more into the fullness of the stature of Christ. And as I speak in love, I'm maturing also. God changes me in that process as well. He changes both of us and we both begin to attain the fullness of the stature of Christ. And the reverse happens well because, will happen as well because I, I need you on the opposite day. I, I know truth that I can speak in love about something on Tuesday, but on Wednesday, I'm about to get tossed to and fro and I don't know what's going on. And you can speak that truth to me and I will begin to mature to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And as you do that in love, you mature into the fullness of stature of Christ. God uses both of us to help the body grow. uses all of us to help the body grow because we are in Christ. And he says in 16, we are in Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have community together because the body is from Christ. And Paul uses this crazy metaphor of the body with its joints and connections and parts and you can almost see one of those anatomy models 
It's got the skeletal structure and then you're able to put the muscle structure on top of that and you can put the ligament structure and the nervous and cardiovascular system and the skin. The human body is a complex system. And if there's some small part of it that's compromised, it can be rendered incapacitated. It can be broken. Have you ever done an infrequent activity that messes up a muscle you forgot you owned? Yeah. Some little thing in your back or or that one side of your neck. Um, You tweak that forgotten piece and it stops everything. It messes everything up. This past week I was walking around a lot because the Lincoln Memorial is not near as close to the Washington Monument as you think it is. Um, And I wore flip-flops a lot. Everyone's going, who is this guy? Why would he do that? Um, And I a lot of walking and eventually I had a small sore right where that strap goes through your toes. That's painful, for one. It's terrible. And because of that, I started unknowingly scooting my foot back into the back of my flip-flop and changing my gait the way I walked. And now, my hip hurts because of that little spot on my foot. It's all connected. We need every part of our body to work correctly. Every part of it's connected. It's a complex system. You can't just have one part and and lose another part. You need all of it. The body of Christ is the same way. Each of us are different kinds of people. And Paul is telling us that when we all get connected and work the way in which we are equipped to do so, the body grows. We need every member connected. And the body builds itself up in love. This is the plan for the church. For those who are in Christ, God has launched an astounding rescue mission for the universe, and he incorporates all of us into that plan, all of us into that glory. The way he decided to work is at a local level by using a community that's knit together closely, intimately, and he uses our work and our presence and our speaking the truth and love to build up his body until we reach unity of the faith and have that personal recognition of Jesus. That's such a complicated thing. Why did God choose to do it that way? I love it. It's so good. I'm thankful. And as we commit to that connection, both here on Sunday, there's a bit of connection that's happening right here. We're we're learning together. We're worshiping together. We're submitting ourselves to Scripture together. And in life groups throughout the week, that's, that's more connection. That's closer connection. Christ makes this body grow through those things. As we show up to life group and say, this is what's happened with my week, it's hard, I don't, I don't even know what to do, and someone speaks the truth in love, and you do the same thing the next week for them, Christ makes the body grow until we attain the unity of faith, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's goals for you and for us are far better than our own goals. And we get there together. This is normal operation for every Christian. This is how it should look. Everyone in Christ should be connected this way. And I'm inviting you this morning into normalcy. Not all-star squadron, not anything special, just normal. Just normal connection. This is how God works in the church, in His body, by us being together. Now some of you have pushback. There's plenty of pushback to this kind of involvement. I think part of it is this connection, this relationship is not worldly. 
This is not a type of community that comes out of our culture. This is not something that's natural to the way the world is going. It stems from the gospel, and sometimes that is so radical we get uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with that. That's not what it looks like everywhere else. The gospel's radically different. The gospel's good news. The gospel is that headline that changes everything. And that's why this is a different type of community. Some will say, I just want to delight, and I'm going to stand over here and just delight, and I'm not going to do any of the other stuff. I like the good news. I'll be good to go. Can I just remind you, Ephesians 2 said it, Ephesians 4 assumes it. You were not just saved from something. You were saved into something. You were made alive together with Christ. You don't say, I don't want to be with everybody else that's alive together with Christ. That doesn't make any sense. We were saved into something and we were saved into something together. Some will say, I want to be myself or I'm just going to show up to, to church, to Sunday morning. This passage has been based on the assumption that we are in this together. We need you. You need us. Christians are inherently communal because we share an identity of being in Christ. This whole body metaphor shows us that we need each other. There's not a piece that can say, I'm going to go do my own thing. That little, that little spot right there between the two toes. Oh, I'm going to do my own thing. My hip's broken. It's not really broken. But if you do that, that's, that's dismemberment. You're breaking the body. Some will say, I don't need help. First off, you need help. Secondly, what did Paul say? The body builds itself up in love. You need connections so that you can attain unity and the fullness of the stature of Christ. We disciple each other. We help each other. We speak the truth and love to each other. Hebrews 10 has the same idea. He reminds the church not to neglect to meet together. Don't neglect that. We need that. We need that practical thing that is aligning us with the spiritual reality of being in Christ. We need it. Some are thinking about being close to other people and they are scared. They are sitting there thinking, I have sin that I don't want people to know about. I have shame that I don't want people to know about. Let me remind us that all of us were dead in our sins and trespasses in which we once walked. And let me remind you that those paths in which we once walked, sometimes when we're being tossed to and fro, look very attractive. We need each other to protect ourselves from from sin. And God uses community as a place for sin to be confessed and healing to really happen. James says, therefore, confess, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Getting rid of that sin, getting healing from that sin, that doesn't happen on your own. That happens in community. That's how God works. For those who are ashamed and ha- or have been shamed, First John sits in the context of community and fellowship and says, Jesus cleanses us. Others are saying, I have my friends. I don't need to have a life group. I have my friends. And let me ask you a piercing question I've been asking myself many times over the past couple weeks. Would I still be friends with that person if God did not exist? 
Would I still be friends with that person if God did not exist? And the reason I'm asking myself that is because if I say, yeah, I totally would still be friends with that person. I may have a friendship that is only based on likes or hobbies or affinities or that place we go vacation together that's really cool rather than a relationship based on a shared identity of being made alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2, after the passage we read, Paul says that Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. That means the gospel is so world-changing that Christ has broken down the walls of hostility between people that are not alike. Between people of different ages, between people of different races, between people of different interests, between people of different economic status. He's broken those down and given them a shared identity of being in Christ. Paul in another place says that we have been given that ministry of reconciliation. We, because we are in Christ, get to do the work Christ does and we get to help people be reconciled together. We are part of the work of breaking down those walls. I'm not saying you should kick all your friends to the curb. Very well. I would have been friends with you anyway, so now we can't be friends. But I am saying we should put ourselves in a place that is a community of people that have a shared identity that has nothing to do with likes or interests. We should be putting ourselves in a place where we can relate to those who are in Christ and can speak the truth and love to me and I to them in a way that I would have never known because they are just different than me. I just don't even understand them, except we're in Christ, so they're my brother, so they're my sister. I'm in it. Good things happen when you put yourself in those type of relationships. Really good things happen. Surprising things happen. Grace happens. The body working together and building itself up in love. And as a final encouragement, these are the people you are going to see Jesus with. These are the people that one day we will have personal recognition face to face. I see you with my own eyes. Jesus, the Savior who died for me. We will see him and we will see them, him together. What better reason to practice being together than that we're going to see him together? That's so good. That coming joy will be even better because we share it. What does a life group do? You might be thinking, I don't even know what you guys do. Please explain. As a little refresher, I want us to remind us, life groups connect every week. They're the predominant place where growth happens, where the body works together, and it it's, can be messy and good and great and hard sometimes. But we practice the five things we see the early church doing in Acts 2. We eat food together. I can think of no better way to bring people together than burgers or tacos or whatever. It just works. You eat food together and you, you, you gain connection. We fellowship or share life together. The fun and the nitty-gritty, the excitement of newborn babies and the weeping together when someone dies. Birthday parties or angst over tough jobs. We go through the word together. We walk through questions that help us dig deeper into the sermon from every week. And we more fully understand the truth in Scripture and how to read it better. We encourage each other as missionaries together by praying alongside each other for our neighbors and, and 
telling how the conversations went or how that lunch went or how that coffee went or how you loved that person. And we pray together, practicing talking to God, praising Him for His goodness and asking Him for help for the person sitting next to us on the couch. And can I just remind you, we don't do this perfectly. We don't have it all together. It's not perfect and and clean and polished. But we show up and we put ourselves in a place to attain the unity of the faith to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we do. And that is the normal stuff I want to invite all of you to this morning. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to respond together um, in song to what God has done and what he has included us in. If you would like someone to talk to, there's going to be an elder um, that can talk with you or pray with you during the rest of the service. Um, But let's pray. Good Father, thank you for being so compassionate and gracious, so much so that you decided to love us in the midst of being dead in our trespasses and sins, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. I thank you that you love us and you rescue us in the midst of our walking in sin. Thank you for putting us in Christ and and putting us in community and giving us those benefits. Thank you for including us in what you are doing. Thank you that you created a plan that uses the entire body together, connected, building itself up in love. I ask that you would do that maturity and growth in our church in visible and awesome ways. Amen.